Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. everyone. Welcome to Circling the Bases. My name is Chris Crawford. Hope everyone is enjoying their week. We've got a very special episode for you guys, and special episodes require special guests. Together, they form the Breakfast All Day podcast. Please welcome Christy Lemire and Alonzo Duraldi. Thank you guys so much for joining us. How are we doing today? So good to see you. Great. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're very welcome. So normally you guys are listening to me nerd out and talk about fantasy baseball and fantasy baseball prospects. But those of you who follow me on Twitter and I can only offer an apology, know that I am a big movie fan and I have been a fan of these guys for a very long time. I was telling him before we started recording, this is like one of the first times I've truly been nervous because I found you guys, I watched a movie um, called Pixels and it was so (laughs) bad that I was like, I have to see what other people are saying about this movie. I have to. And your guys' video was the first one I found. And you made a lifelong fan. That terrible Aww. movie brought us all together. I hope we provided some much needed insight and clarity <laughs> in this very complicated Adam Sandler oh, movie. Yeah, that, that was, um, you know, they, they say, you know what? I wanted to ask you guys this question because it's something I've debated with friends before. And I, I think you, I know what you guys will say, but I'll ask you both. Is it possible for a movie to be objectively good or bad? Go. <laughs> uh, you know, that's the, the, the this is a theory of art question that we're getting into here on a on a baseball podcast, which <laughs> I, I am like the least qualified person to ever appear on a <laughs> like bringing it back to Adam Sandler. Christy just had to like footnote all of hustle for me and tell oh. me who the NBA players were. So, <laughs> I, you know, please, listeners know that I don't belong here. And, and I, I, I pardon, apologize for, for crashing your turf. Um, no. no, I don't. I think that uh, I don't believe in objectivity of criticism. I think that that everything comes down to standards and context and personal preferences and all that other stuff. So, no, I don't think there's such a thing as something that is objectively good or objectively bad. Um, But I think that it is the job of the critic to explain why they think something is or isn't good. Sure. I just had this very similar conversation with my 12-year-old son just last night because he was watching some show where somebody used that phrase objectively bad. And he was like, what does that mean? So I explained to him, like, when you're looking at a movie or watching a, a TV show or looking at a piece of art or listening to a piece of music, like you bring yourself to it and you bring your experiences and you bring your 
your particular tastes and your perspective and your comparative abilities. And so, um, yeah, I think there are probably very, very few things or people or artists that we can all say are objectively good, like Dolly Parton, for example, I think we can all agree <laughs> on, right? Um, right. But there are even something like Casablanca or like Citizen Kane, like movies that are considered the greatest ever. Someone's going to go, sure. ah, I hate the use of shadow, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is. So, yeah, it, it's really, really tough to say. And that's part of what makes this fun is that there are things that we love and we feel passionately about. And then we'll meet somebody who has a totally different take. And it's not a matter of I'm convincing you or you're convincing me, but a matter of having that conversation and how we're both better for it. Yeah, that makes sense. I would say if, if you guys are definitely the experts in this field, but I would say I think it's easier to maybe qualify something as objectively bad because of, you know, if something involves homophobia or xenophobia or something like that, I think that you can kind of qualify that that no longer can be something I can consider good per se, but at the same time, I don't think you could say objectively good. I've, there, every <laughs> film I think I've seen, I've heard somebody have to say a little something negative about it. And there are levels of good with this type of stuff, too. Um, <laughs> I, but, I, think, I think that you could say something is objectively homophobic or xenophobic or racist or whatever, but that in itself does not necessarily determine the, you know, the quality. The, the quality of the art. You know, That makes sense. That, that absolutely makes sense. Um, speaking of not that per se, but... Life as a critic in the pandemic world. Um, I know that both of you guys are just starting to get to go back into theaters now, but with that shutdown, with everything that was happening, um, Christy, I'll ask you first and Alonzo to follow up, just how different that experience has been post-pandemic. It was strange, you know, and it was strange not driving to LA three nights a week to go see my friends at a movie theater. And it was it was interesting to see how the different studios reacted because some were in a position to very quickly have a, a screener app that you could go to on Roku. And like, they didn't necessarily want to show you their big releases, you know, on your TV at home, but that was the answer. Right. Um, so, so the uncertainty of it was really strange. And what we tried to do, and this is the origin of what is now our news segment on breakfast all day, which is sort of keep people apprised of, okay, this film festival is now going virtual or this release date got pushed, you know, things like Top Gun Maverick or the most recent Mission Impossible movie. Tom Cruise is so insistent on the theatrical experience and he has the clout that he can, you know, insist upon it and, and force it and push things two summers down the road. So right. I think just learning to be flexible is interesting. I miss my darling Alonzo. Um, we used to do this show in person all of us, three of us, four of us around a dining room table. And now we're doing it by Zoom um, because it's just easier. I live about an hour away from Alonzo. <laughs> so just to expedite production and all that, we, we do it um, remotely. But when we see each other, like we saw each other last week at Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Uh, I think we're seeing each other tomorrow night at Elvis, I believe. And so when we do see each other, we, we appreciate it, I feel, that much more. 
Yeah, no, no, absolutely. The, you know, I think what a lot of people experience in terms of, oh, I'm not going to the office every day. I'm not seeing the people that I, that I work with and that, you know, are that we hang out with and we get lunch. That was kind of what not having screenings was like for film critics, because you see your, that's where you see your friends and your colleagues, you know, and, and, and that those would be the moments that we would hang out and chat beforehand or whatever. And so, yeah, that got completely taken away. And, it did become this thing of like, all right, well, now we're watching everything at home. And so we have to sort of try and adjust to like, how do I best mimic the theater experience by trying to like block out the lights mm -hmm. and turning off my phone and, you know, sure. really paying attention. You know, I, I think if there was an upside for all this, um, a lot of places in the country, I think that don't normally get access to smaller art house foreign documentary releases at the same time as new york or la we're <laughs> suddenly finding that a lot of these distributors like okay we're doing a virtual cinema mm -hmm. and you can come to our site and you can pay a rental we'll even give a kickback to like your local art house theater to help them out during all this time because that's where we would have opened so if you had high-speed internet and you lived in North Dakota, you know, where maybe the art house movies didn't come and or, <laughs> right. or, or took a long time to get there. You right. are now seeing stuff at the same time. You were, you could, you could buy tickets to the Sundance film festival. You could participate in film culture in a way that is normally reserved for people who live in larger areas. So I did kind of enjoy that kind of democratization of the process while it lasted. But the fact that the theaters are coming back has inspired a series that we are doing on our little show called The Movie House Shoutout, where Ooh. once a week we shine a light on a really cool local independent theater, tell a little bit of the history, what are they showing that week, you know, they're pretty much all nonprofits, and so they could definitely use the financial support, and so we'll put a link down below. Um, this week we're doing a place in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, called the Colonial Theater, which Ooh. is where they shot the Blob. Oh, no kidding. Have you seen the Blob? Many years ago, yes. Right. That young Steve McQueen. <laughs> 28-year-old Steve McQueen. The iconic shot of the Blob oozing out of a movie theater. That's right. The Colonial. And, no yeah. Kidding. And so they shot it at the, at the Colonial, and then every year they do this, this festival called Blob Fest, where they show the Blob, and everyone goes running out of the theater to reenact the end of the movie. And so no every theater... Kidding. It's so fun. So every theater's got some cool story and they're all kind of needing help getting back on their feet. Like we have found here in LA, a couple of really important art house theaters have closed in the past year or two and the Arclight and the Landmark. And so we feel like if those can't stay afloat, how sure. hard is it for local small town theaters? So we're trying to help with that. But that is one thing that, you know, because of the pandemic, I think people are realizing the importance of, of going back and supporting their local establishments, which sure. are frequently like mainstays in the community for a hundred years. I, I mean, I miss the theater experience so yeah. much. The The first movie I went back to actually was In the Heights. And I was so glad mm. that was the first movie yeah. that I got a chance to go back to because that is something that you have to see on the widescreen. Sure. I'm glad you mentioned that local theater thing. I went to the Grand Cinema, which is one that you yes! guys profiled not too long ago. And yes! I watched that. I watched Petite, Petite Maman, which if it oh. was... If it would have come out this year, I for a, something we're going to spoil, talk about a little bit later, would have been my favorite movie so far of 2022. I guess it technically counts for 2021, but it is so uh, good. Did uh, you sob? Oh, I bawled. I just absolutely <laughs> bawled. I mean, I, I'll cry at pretty much anything. I'll cry at Verizon cell phone commercials. So something <laughs> that's actually quality is going to definitely make me burst into tears. Um, we're going to talk about baseball movies, but real quick. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Weekends are better with MLB Sunday leadoff. Coverage presented by Uber Eats. Catch the Mets take on the Marlins in Miami on Sunday, June 26th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern, live on NBC and Peacock. To learn more, go to PeacockTV.com slash MLB. And if you want a chance to win $25,000 on the game, download the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet and enter Sunday's free Grand Slam Pick'em contest. So before we get into the baseball movies, I wanted to ask you about sports movies in general. Because... (laughs) There are a lot of very good sports movies, and there are a lot of um, others. And for every uh, Rocky or Bull Durham, there are a bunch of movies like Summer Catch or The Monkey Movie with Matt LeBlanc, which is... Uh, I believe just, you mean uh, Ed. I do, I do. I do mean Ed. Um, but I think it, I probably would have done better if they just called it The Monkey, the Monkey movie, movie with Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> with Matt LeBlanc. Um, do you guys – have Alonzo, you start, and then Chris, you follow up mm-hmm. if you don't mind. Um, do you think sports movies are kind of a gener- genre that is set up to fail? Oh, no, no, to the contrary. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, when we talked about Hustle recently, uh, I, I kind of went on at length about this. I do not like or care about sports or have any interest in sports, and I love sports movies yeah. because it's mm-hmm. all the good stuff you know, in, in a nice, tight 90 to 120 minutes. And no, and I think that sports movies allow an opportunity for, you know, they can be personal triumph, personal growth stories. They can be about community. They can be about, you know, a, a, a ragtag band of underdogs, you know, whatever. There's a lot of different ways that you can do it. And I think that it, with if you know what you're doing in terms of editing and, and how you shoot this stuff, you can make the big game or the whatever really suspenseful, really fascinating. And it can also in the same way that they say about, you know, like that a, a musical number in a musical will, 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 you know, give you 10 pages worth of character or plot depending on how it's it's incorporated you can really reveal a lot about character by the way people you know uh, participate in sports and how you know are, is the guy going to try and go for the three-pointer every time or is he going to pass it to a teammate you know that kind of thing that counts as personal growth you know sure um so no i think as a genre it it has great potential you can muck it up and certainly many have uh but no i I think it's one that always has a lot of promise to it 
I agree with you, my friend, because there is a familiarity in the formula and there is some aspirational quality to these kinds of movies because very, very few of us are ever going to have that kind of prowess athletically or in any field, right? Whether it's like being a dog walker or working at a a grocery store, whatever your pursuit is, like you're probably not going to be as good as whoever the sports movie is about. And so to to be able to project your own dreams of greatness on just to somebody else is a a really fun escape for a little while. Um, Alonzo mentioned hustle recently, and we loved that because it is pure formula, but the way that they get into it is so inspired in terms of the the character development, the performances, just the way that the montages are shot. You know, there's always going to be at least one training montage, if not multiple. It's it's a mainstay of of the genre. But the way that these basketball training montages were shot and edited was so thrilling Mm -hmm. and encompassed so much that it felt new, which would seem like a hard thing to achieve with, with, with a sports movie. And then like the ones that we're going to talk about later on, quite often the sports movies that I like best have the elements that are the most compelling are not actually the sports parts. Yes. Yeah. I, <laughs> and I'm I, a huge sports fan. Like I sure. grew up in LA going to Lakers games, Dodgers games. Um, my dad and I watched sports my whole life. I was a little girl. My husband's a big sports fan. You know, we went to game three of the 2007 World Series wow. when the Red Sox played the Rockies for our 10-year wedding anniversary. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> my husband's from New Hampshire, so he's a big Red Sox fan. So, sure. um, so yeah, so it's a big part of my life. So I always enjoy, you know, girl-splaining sports too. A lot of <laughs> 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 it's yeah. Uh, I, I'm glad you brought up Hustle because that was, I, I loved it. And it is mm. another example um, <laughs> we were talking about pixels, how frustrated I can be that when Adam Sandler is not mm-hmm. trying to get a vacation, his movies can be pretty darn good. I mean, <laughs> and I, I am enjoying the Renaissance. I'm very curious, um, to see that next one as well, by the way, I, I, I just forgot the title It's Spaceman or something like that, but a terrific cast. I believe Carrie Mulligan's in the movie as well, which is, uh, pretty interesting. I, I, uh, but that kind of brings me to my, favorite baseball movie and we'll get into it and I'll have Mm -hmm. uh, everybody pick. I'm going to be selfish and pick mine first. Uh, My favorite baseball movie is everybody wants some and it is a recent movie, but it is a movie that I very much enjoy. I am a Richard Linklater Stan and Mm -hmm. I just think the characters in this movie are so good. Like this movie kind of made Glenn Powell, the, the, to use a baseball term, the prospect coming up. And I'm <laughs> super excited. I've enjoyed everything I've seen from him. I thought he was, you know, he, I don't think he got talked enough about how uh, the job he did in Top Gun Maverick. I, I, I think that he is going to be someone to watch for a long time, but yep. the characters are so believable in this movie. And what I really like about everybody wants some is everybody in this movie has a moment of being the hero and the a-hole. And I think that's the most mm-hmm. relatable thing for me about somebody who grew up playing on sports teams his entire mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. was that there are those moments where you have this moment where you love your teammate and you also want to push him off a cliff. There are <laughs> going to be, and I think that's not just true about baseball. I think that's true about just everybody who grows up um, with a group of friends or gets to know these guys. I, I think it's, it does such a good job. And I believe it's like a 72 hour period of the movie of like, encapsulating what it is. And I also think even not having grown up in that area, like 
I felt like I was in that town. I felt mm-hmm. like I was in at the University of Texas mm-hmm. for that movie. Um, I thought it was terrific. I think I remember reading, uh, the re- watching the review of you guys and enjoying it as well. But I, I'd love your thoughts on that one. I would argue that Everybody Wants Some is not even really a baseball movie. Yeah. So it's fascinating that you chose it because when I look back on it, I don't even think of baseball. I think of it as a Richard Linklater hangout movie. Right. You know, very much in the vein of Slacker or, you know, sure. his, his shaggier, more, looser, funner movie. So I totally forgot until just now that there is baseball involved in it. Yeah. <laughs> so then what, Chris, what do you think of Linklater's Bad News Bears remake then? Not, not, not so much. And that has okay. got to be, to be honest with you, one of the more disappointing films. I think that he, and you know what, there was kind of a lull, like as, as big of a fan as I am of him, there was kind of a moment where I was like, ah, I'm no longer super excited. And then Boyhood came out and I'm, that's my favorite movie of all time. Just mm. so everybody is aware that is, uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, Bad News Bears was a rare misstep. Okay. Yeah, Linklater is one of those filmmakers who's so prolific that every so often you're going to get a, a fast food nation or something like, mm, okay, yeah. better, better luck next time. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I'm kind of with Chrissy. I frankly forgot there was baseball and everybody wants them. I think of it more as being kind of like a, a camaraderie movie. Sure. Um, but yes, they are all teammates. And and you're right, that does the, the, the fact of having to do these games together does kind of affect their relationships and affect how they think about each other. So in terms of the group dynamic, you know, mm-hmm. then, yeah, I'd say this is definitely a sports movie that delves into, you know, just the, 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 the whole sort of notion of what a team even is right. and how they function together. All right, Christy, mm-hmm. your favorite baseball movie. I have two and they're very different. Okay. One of them is the Bad News Bears, the original Bad News Bears. Mm, great. Because it's such a fantastic time capsule. It is actually about baseball and the way that the team comes together totally um, informs who these people are and how they evolve both individually and as a group. It's just a total blast. It's sure. a total 70s time capsule, which is exactly why Richard Linklater could not remake it today <laughs> right. and have like Tanner cursing and have Kelly Leake smoking. Like sure. you couldn't have that kind of alcoholism and neglect on display <laughs> in a feel-good right. family sports movie, um, <laughs> right. which is why the original is so rad, because I think movies back then gave people more credit for being able to handle tougher material sure. and more challenging characters. And so um, I just have really fond memories of that from my own childhood. And clearly I am not scarred. I turned out <laughs> fine, right? Yes, so there's that. And then my other one is at the totally opposite end of the spectrum, and that is Eight, um, eight Men Out. Oh, okay. Which is, I again, a movie that I admire not even so much as a baseball movie, but for its elegance. It's a labor movie. Yeah, yes. yeah but, but there's like an elegance and an intellectualism to it and a restraint that like makes the steady pacing so gripping. And it's a fantastic cast and it's just beautifully shot and acted. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't think people even think of it as a baseball movie, but it is, of course, about the Black Sox scandal. And so, yeah. um, it's, so it could not be on the other end of the spectrum further from Bad News Bears, but yes. I like both of them for their extremes. I think that's a great example of how you can get sports movies right and not have to be the formulaic paint by numbers movies too. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. like eight men out really is a, 
a, a historical piece. Like mm-hmm. it's, um, if it's the closest thing, I, I almost said Downton Abbey, but that's not fair. But it is, <laughs> it is like a, uh, it is more of a, uh, a piece of that time. And they've mm-hmm. got the costumes so great. Um, mm-hmm. That's a good one. I think that one often gets, um, people forget that that was a critically acclaimed movie too. Like that yep. movie did really well. It just didn't happen to have the same type of um, hold that movies like Bull Durham and uh, a few others did. But yeah, I, I love both of those movies. Uh, Alonzo, your favorite baseball movie. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to go with the, the Kevin Costner double bill. One of them being Bull Durham, the other being also about Shoeless Joe Jackson, Field of Dreams. Um, uh, you know, I think that Bull Durham is this just sort of wonderfully absurdist film that happens to be set in the world of baseball, but that sure. it gives these, odd characters this function and this focus and this uh these goals for themselves that may or may not have anything to do with what a rational person would do with their lives necessarily but um i i like the the way that it weaves so much stuff into just like you know the the this very eccentric team the the impact that this minor league team has on this small town and the people who live there and their relationships with the team in general you know the commentators just all of that stuff i think is great and mm-hmm. then like field of dreams i think is maybe the quintessential um male weepy which um <laughs> i don't think we get nearly enough of yes. um, you know movies where dudes have to pretend they're not crying in the last 10 minutes but they are crying sure. oh my god um, yeah. and and that one's almost sort of like baseball as a metaphor for something else entirely um it really does kind of come down to like i you know having a game of catch with your dad which admittedly if my dad had ever tried to drag me out for one of those i'd have been like my show's on um <laughs> But the idea of what that represents, I think, has a real mm-hmm. has real emotional impact to it. And we've been thinking about Field of Dreams lately with the passing of Ray Liotta, mm, yes. which yeah. made which made people again point out, oh, but he's batting on the wrong side. Does it bother <laughs> you, Chris? As, as a baseball guy, does this bother you? It doesn't bother me. Um, like, so Moneyball is another movie that mm-hmm. is very critically mm-hmm. acclaimed. There are things in that movie that really bug me because it kind of ignores the fact that the Oakland Athletics had some of the very best players in baseball. It kind of it tells you the story as if it's um, like the ragtag group of guys that nobody wanted. Well, no, they had Cy Young Award winners and MVP candidates on that <laughs> baseball team. That, but that doesn't tell as good of a story. Mm-hmm. But I can ignore it a little bit because Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are so mm-hmm. flipping good in the movie mm-hmm. that it just ends up not mattering. Um, as if you have no idea what's going on, I'll ask you that. Uh, that's a great question for like, not just baseball movies, but for historical movies, how important do you think historical accuracy is for a film? I mean, you know, if you are pretending like you are giving the real deal here and you're not sort of like playing around with anachronism or, you know, again, you know, sort of bringing it as sort of a metaphorical idea of what World War One would represent or something, you know, if you're actually trying to be like you know, this is the story of this particular battle or this particular historical incident, then, yeah, I think you better have your stuff ready because – it's, you know, if you know what the real thing is and you see them not doing it, that takes you right out of it. Right. And there is also that danger, I think, that so many people take the movie version as mm-hmm. the history, you know. Right. And so when you're Oliver Stone, you better have some footnotes ready. If somebody <laughs> decides to question, like, what? Really? Yes. Yeah. You know, 
We've been talking about this recently with Winning Time on HBO mm-hmm. and how angry Jerry West has been with his portrayal and how he has threatened to take it, quote, all the way to the Supreme Court. And good luck with that, Jerry West. <laughs> that's that's um, a fun. But it's interesting when you have a story that is like deeply steeped in very specific people and places and games, like mm-hmm. then why deviate so vastly in terms of characterization? Like there's so much sure. inherent drama to the Showtime Lakers. Like why, why mess with that? Right. You know, and and to see how people like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar write so beautifully and persuasively about how wrong this show gets everything, <laughs> he was there. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's fascinating, and I, and I wonder like why why do that? And then of course they have their little disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> little disclaimer. Um, before we get into the bad ones, the other one I wanted to bring up real quick was I'm not sure if you guys saw the movie Sugar. Um, this was great. Yeah, yeah, directed yes. by Anna Bolden and Ryan Fleck. If if I was going to recommend one baseball movie for anyone to watch, I think it would be this one, just yeah. because no. it's pretty poignant right now, especially. I mean, it's always going to be a, a movie that has a connection to what's going on with the world. Um, but like this was directed by the people who did Half Nelson, mm-hmm. which is an, another really good uh, film. And uh, Captain sh- Marvel. And Captain Marvel. That's mm-hmm. correct. Yeah, that's boy. That's a uh, interesting filmography of uh, <laughs> the way to take on a bunch we call of that range kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for those uh, unfamiliar it's a story of a uh, young player from the Dominican who uh, goes to New York and really goes through this stuff and I got to tell you as somebody who does cover this stuff mm-hmm. it's a very realistic tale of how difficult it can be to make this adjustment these kids are signed at 16 years mm-hmm. old brought into the United States um, just recently did Major League Baseball start providing even housing for these guys. A lot of these guys before that had to go find a oh. uh, somewhere to live, you know, uh, oh, on their wow. own. They would have to get painting jobs because they do not get paid a lot of money. They get their signing bonus, but most guys are not getting six or seven figures. They're getting a very small stipend and then are going to have to spend six to seven years in the minor leagues before they reach the major leagues. It's wow. not like the NFL where you're getting drafted and you're just automatically going to play. But Here's your shoe deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. unfortunately, you're, there's a reason you don't see too many cleats on the uh, Times Square thing as well. That is just not how that is going to... Uh, yeah, no, my, my, my brother for a while was an orthopedic surgeon uh, working with the Braves and... Oh. Um, he uh, and told me about like how many players there were that had come up from the DR, and I was like, "Oh, you need to see this movie mm-hmm. because yeah. it really goes into that." And and uh, yeah, no, that's absolutely I think a corner of this that no one was has ever really talked about. And so that movie, uh, even for I mean, obviously for me it was eye opening because I don't know anything, but I think <laughs> even for people who are pretty steeped in this world was kind of a surprise. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Pelotero is a documentary that explores this as well. That was narrated by uh, John Loigazama. Bef- definitely check those out. There's a lot of good stuff. But that's not fun to talk about. Let's talk about the crap. Uh, I'll have you start this time, Alonzo. Your all-time least favorite baseball movie and uh, why? Yeah, I mean, you know, you you really hit it on the. I mean, Ed is an embarrassment <laughs> in general. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I, I and, and it's the kind of thing where, like, it's so, I, I don't think it's, I mean, look, it's not easy to do anything right, but there are no. so many good baseball movies and so many kinds of fun baseball movies. Like, I love Rookie of the Year, you oh, know, sure. like, there's a lot of movies out there that, that find the drama or the comedy or the whatever. And uh, this movie is just, 
a, a series of terrible decisions. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really bad. I happened to catch it on, I think, Showtime at like 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> and I, I think that that was a higher power telling me to go to bed. Yeah. It, it, it's just really, to, to be watching that. What are that, you it, even doing right now? That is exactly. <laughs> I, I definitely at one point said, what are you doing with your life right now? <laughs> um, but it's terrible. It is every possible awful cliche that you could have in a mm. comedy it is a terrible performance by matt leblanc i hope he got the bag for that movie man. Like, <laughs> cause, cause, I, mean, he, um, I don't know if you guys watched the show episodes uh, yes it was, I, uh, yeah i was like while i was watching that show i was like when they're talking about some of their projects i was like you're talking about ed right now aren't you <laughs> <laughs> uh, christy your least favorite baseball movie mine is Trouble with the curve. Oh, <laughs> see that kid? That's trouble with the curve, which is a great example of like wedging in the title yes. of the movie in the dialogue. Yeah. We always yeah. clap. We're always like, "Yay, we did it!" Um, so this is a favor that Clint Eastwood clearly did for a longtime producer of his, Robert Lorenz, and this is Robert Lorenz. He directed it. And it stars Clint Eastwood as this aging scout and Amy Adams is his estranged daughter. And somehow Justin Timberlake gets in the mix and it just feels totally inauthentic in every step of the way. I mean, both, I mean, I am not the baseball expert that you are, but it didn't feel like the scouting, like he should know things. Sure. This character did not know, you know, like he's not that out of it that he needs to be like spoon fed Maybe that's just exposition, but it felt right. very clunky and very inauthentic. And also just like none of the emotional connections resonated as far as like the father daughter stuff. And right. it's just, it's, it just feels cheesy and cloying and sentimental and forced and false. Coincidentally, also not good is The Scout with Albert Brooks and Brendan Fraser. Oh, my gosh. You know what? That movie actually has one of my most unrealistic things, other than the fact that it's Everything about that movie is completely unrealistic. But um, the in the at the end of the game, there's a perfect game, and they talk about this guy, uh, Ozzie Smith, who is a Hall of Fame baseball player, is going to be a mm-hmm. chance to break up this thing. Why is the Hall of Fame player batting ninth? <laughs> that is the, last <laughs> of the batting order. That doesn't make any sense to be like building this drama to be facing the Cardinals' worst hitter in the game. That is a movie that I really enjoyed as a kid, by the way, The Scout, and it mm-hmm. made me realize that children are just kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm, but Trouble with the Curve was actually a tie for me with the movie that I was going to pick because okay. it's terrible. It's also got this anti-analytic message that anybody who mm. looks at stats or stuff like that, the Matthew Lillard character is just like every front office member for every baseball team and like the heart and soul of the team. And like the the player that they draft is like, they determine he's going to be a bust off of like a, a, a practice session, which is definitely a good way to spend millions of dollars and <laughs> determine that you don't want this player in your organization. So my least favorite baseball movie is going to get me yelled at. And it's, it's happened before. I hate the Sandlot. And I know that a lot of people really like the Sandlot. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that kids, nostalgia, we mm-hmm. just assume that this was good. I challenge you as a person who's grown up to watch the Sandlot now. 
and tell me that it's a good movie. It relies. <laughs> into, oh no, go ahead. As I always say, was it great or were you eight? It's <laughs> <laughs> our new game show. <laughs> I would definitely put that on the Patreon. Absolutely, I would absolutely love to do that. It is entirely reliant on nostalgia. It is basically like almost like the Family Guy baseball movie where you're just pointing out, hey, do you remember this? Hey, do you remember how that did? I know you guys are uh, uh, not a fan of this as well. Every single music drop on it is so on the flipping. (laughs) This magic moment starts playing when Smalls gets kissed by Wendy Peppercorn. I mean, the most (laughs) obvious of obvious. By the way, that movie is directed by the guy who wrote Matt LeBlanc with the monkey movie. And I don't think that that is uh, entirely. So this is a very volatile movie. I'll tell you guys. So I would love your guys' thoughts on the Sandlot because this is a lot of people on baseball Twitter. If that's actually a thing, favorite baseball (laughs) movie. And then there are some people like me who know what they're talking about. I've never seen it. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I have, but it was a long time. We're a little older than you, Chris. Yeah, that's true. It's not our childhood. No, that's true. I have seen it, but it's been a while. So I don't have any strong feelings. And and so when you wrote to us and said that there's controversy about the Sandlot, I'm like, why? Yeah. (laughs) It's just, I think a lot of people love that nostalgic factor like i do it, say it, you're killing me smalls but I never, <laughs> I never the movie. hey that's fair that and that's you know that's a, a lasting thing that that film can take with it, it mm-hmm. it's interesting because when i wrote you guys that email field of dreams is another one that is controversial i would say as well i think it's because of some issues with um how schmaltzy it is and stuff like that but i think field of dreams to me is a perfect example of how you can get schmaltz right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you like Phil Alden Robinson, when he got that stuff, right, he got it right. Like this was, and, and James Earl Jones is terrific in the movie. And, mm-hmm. um, Lancaster, come for, on. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it, it's for me, that doesn't matter. Formula. I, I, I want to ask you guys this as well. I think that's, um, when I read reviews and I just see the word formulaic sometimes, can you kind of explain what formulaic means in a negative term? Like when you see that in in reviews, when somebody says something is formulaic, what are they really trying to say? Good. Right, I'll go. So I just think it's like when a movie goes through the motions and it hits all the notes that you expect without any kind of ingenuity or inspiration. Okay. Yeah, basically. In other words, like there, there's there are there are very few times you're ever going to like completely, you know, reinvent the wheel on any kind of film genre. But right. you can tell the difference between a movie that either loves its tropes or is playing with the tropes or giving a little twist or at least giving you so much other stuff that is pleasurable that you don't mind that mm-hmm. you're going through these the, the steps on the tropes. But then, yeah, otherwise, if you're just phoning it in and doing the thing that we know you're going to do and in the exact same way that 20 other people have done it, then mm-hmm. that's formulaic. Yeah, it, I, it kind of seems to me it's the paint by numbers. You're yeah. not going to be surprised no. by what's going on. If you nail it, that's great. But mm. it also can be, I think, especially for, I think, film critics who see so many of these. You guys have to watch so many movies. <laughs> I can see also uh, how that could be frustrating. And speaking of so many movies, <laughs> uh, I know it's June 21st. Uh, <laughs> but I have to ask you, and I'll have Christy, you go first, mm-hmm. and Alonzo second. Your favorite movie so far this year. 
we might have the same movie. <laughs> it's, you first. It's, I honestly think I. all three of us might have the same movie. It might be RRR. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please tell everyone about the spectacle of wonder that is RRR. I don't want to ruin it. I that's want a, that's our true. viewers and listeners to experience it. I will say this. It is, I, it's on Netflix. Yes. It's an Indian film in Telugu, but it's on Netflix in a Hindi dub, which I know a lot of folks feel um, is inferior. Um, and also, if you can see it in the theater like Alonzo did, that's great. I hear that it's being re-released some places in the United States, um, but it is this wild like over the top fan fiction, the idea of these two Indian revolutionaries from kind of different times meeting up and becoming buddies and having this like thrilling bromance, but they also have like a giant dance battle, which has become this viral sensation online. It is three hours long. You never know what's going to happen. It is every kind of movie rolled into one, all done like with wild exuberance and the stuff with the animals. Anyway, Alonzo, please can help Yeah, me. no, it, it is It is just breathtaking. It is, it is this pure cinematic experience where you just have your jaw on the floor and you're short of breath and it's all of that stuff. And obviously, as well, Western audiences, I think we're probably missing a lot of the political undercurrents. And I've been reading a lot of critics in India who've been saying like, yes, the film is a lot of fun, but it's also kind of about these kind of not great political, you know, subtext, blah, blah, blah. And sadly, I am, I'm behind the curve and don't fully know that. But go going into somebody who doesn't know any of the backstory and just sort of experienced it as this movie that I knew nothing about, it was one of the most thrilling film watching experiences of my life. So, when I saw your guys' review, I <laughs> went to Netflix and saw that it was on there. And I saw that it was three hours long and I was planning. I was like, all right, I'm going to watch the first half and then I'll watch the second <laughs> half in the morning. Because it was on, I, it was like 8.30 at night when I saw okay. the review. And I was like, all right, 9 o'clock. I watched it twice. I was so <laughs> smitten with this movie. It is mm -hmm. so good. And I, I'm glad you guys don't spoil, like, there are some scenes in this movie that you like, Michael Bay should be ashamed of himself because like you know, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Yeah, for a lot of reasons. Uh, although I will say ambulance on Peacock, not too bad. Um, it's fun. It's, uh, but RRR was just, uh, just like the, the type of movie that can make you fall in love with movies. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like the type of thing. And I will be, if it comes out anywhere from here to Seattle, I am definitely going to be <laughs> looking for it in, on as big of screen as possible. I will mention too, I just watched, Good luck to you, Leo Grand, which mm. I'm not sure if you guys really yeah, enjoyed yeah. that. Um, Emma Thompson is so good in this movie. So and I already forgot the name of the lead. Uh, the lead Daryl McCormick. Boy, he's fantastic. He's and, um, and that is... No, no I'm sorry. Ahead. Isaiah, if you're a Linklater fan, don't miss Apollo 10 and a half on Netflix. His oh, yes. new animated feature, which is also one of my favorites for this year. I am definitely saving, so trying to square up some time to watch that as well. Alonzo and Christy, this was so much fun. Still Thank fun. you guys so much for ha uh, for for having us. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> on to the show. Please promote all of the stuff that you guys are doing because all of it is great. <laughs> so we have a YouTube channel. We are Breakfast All Day. If you go look for us on YouTube, we are there. We are also in podcast form and all the places where you can find podcasts. We have a Patreon. It is Be Fast All Day 
What are we? What are we? Patreon.com/slash be fast all day. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at be fast all day. Um, we talk about movies, new movies, old movies. We're talking about the Blob today. We <laughs> nice. do news. We do ask us anything segments, and we've been around for a while in various forms. But you can find us here in this form. Oh. And over on Patreon, we you also get our TV recaps. We've been talking about Stranger Things and Obi Wan Kenobi and uh, The Offer. If you're one of the four people who's watching that show, <laughs> uh, you know all kinds of stuff. And you know, it, to this day, we still get people who used to see us on What the Flick, our old show, um, that don't know that we're still doing this. So you know, yeah. tell tell your friends, tell people who were fans of, of What the Flick that that we're doing over breakfast all day. Yeah, it's it's awesome stuff. Let me just confirm something. Okay, Paramount, the offer. Yeah, the offer is terrible, but I've, I'm definitely looking forward <laughs> to uh, just to hearing what you guys say because you know what? Sometimes it is fun to kind of revel in um, the not so great. It has its me. moments. You know, Matthew Good is Matthew Good Matthew. performances. Robert Evans is pretty stunning. You know, I've seen Matthew Good have a good performance in a lot of things that I have not liked. He might be that <laughs> that for a baseball term, that great player on the bad team. It, it doesn't. I would like to see Matthew Good maybe um, be good at picking scripts. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Yeah, thank you, sir. Stay tuned for Call and I tomorrow. We will try to match the magic of the show. Absolutely no chance. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. You can follow Christy at Christy Lemire. You can follow Alonzo at A. Giraldi. And like I said, you can follow Breakfast All Day at Be Fast All Day. Please rate the show five stars and subscribe if you can. If you can go above five stars, try. But you can't hurt to make an effort. Until next time, we really appreciate you guys listening and have a great week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.